Turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, we'll begin uh, just at looking at verse 13, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of being able to sing these songs that just lift our hearts up to you. Lord, they're just such uh, good to remind ourselves of your goodness and your greatness and your grace. It's already been talked about and sung about today. And we thank you for your grace in our life. I pray that as we look into your word that you would be gracious in allowing us to understand it. uh, Allow your spirit to just... Illumine our hearts and minds. And then, Lord, may we be faithful to apply these things to our life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at um, what a true believer is. When I was growing up, uh, I saw so much false believing, false Christianity. And uh, I uh, fought against that in my own spirit. Because I, I looked and I longed for authentic Christianity. And I hope that's the same desire in your own heart, is just that we be uh, authentic with, uh, with our religion what, and, and it be a religion found in Scripture and rooted in Scripture, not man-made. So we've been investigating and, and looking at these things. What are the essentials of, of uh, Christian character? What makes up a true believer? What are the characteristics that make up a true believer? And we examine ourselves with the Bible in one hand, seeing what the Bible says, and then a mirror in the other hand, looking at our own heart, hoping to find a reflection of Christ in our own life, that we see Christ uh, reflected in our lives. And that's, that's good. That reassures our heart that, that God has worked. Unless, Paul says, unless you fail the test. And then it's a wake-up call, isn't it? Then it's a reminder, or it's a, it's a wake-up call to repent and, and plead our case before God and come to Him in repentance. Now, what should we be looking for? We, that's the big question. We examine our heart, what makes us a, a true believer. We've looked at nine out of the eleven things that we've stated, and we find these in 1 John. Um, we, the, the two primary Things that we want to see and want to have results are, as I've already said, either assurance to our own heart or a wake-up call that causes us to repent. And we see both of these things in the book of 1 John. So what do we look for? Number one, we look for a love for God. Do we genuinely, genuinely love God? Do we... Uh, uh, desire to serve Him, not out of a sense of duty, but out of love. Do we love Him and His Word and His people and His work? Number two, do we see the work of the Holy Spirit working in our life? Him producing fruit in our life. Number three, do we see answers to prayer in our life? It's a natural thing for the believer to pray. Do we, um, do we see answers to prayer? In our life, whether it's a no answer or a yes answer, we know that God hears us and we move forward with confidence, knowing that he answers our prayers. Number five, we look for a longing in our own heart, a longing to see Christ, a longing to be with Christ and have him return. 
Number five, we have, uh, we look for spiritual discernment. As we talked about in Sunday school today, we, we need that discernment. The Holy Spirit is an anointing and He teaches us all things, First uh, John says. And then number six, we see that uh, we look for genuine desire for holiness. Do we long, uh, have a longing for God's holiness? A thirst for righteousness, Christ would say. Do we walk in the light as He is in the light? Number seven, do we see then a, a decreasing pattern of sin in our life? Sin begins to decrease in our life. That pattern that we see of sin. And then number eight, there's an increasing obedience in our life. And those two have to come together. Because we abide in His love. We then discipline ourselves to please Him. And we want to obey Him. And that's what we do. And then that leads us then to number ten, number nine and ten. And both of those have to do with the world. And we began to look at this last week. We need to understand what the world is. We don't want to just skip over that. In this verse that we read, that do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. What is the what is John talking about here? We need to understand that he's talking about the world's system. It's not the people of the world, not just the the global, uh, the earth here, the, the the ground. It's this world system, like we would use the. The uh, world of business, the business world, or the, the world of sports. We saw the, um, the world uh, championship uh, in baseball played last night. Uh, then we have the world of politics. I don't know a whole lot about uh, uh, different worlds, but I do know a little bit about politics. And I'm part of that world. So you understand, there's a, the economic world. Uh, we uh, we know we, we send our money sometimes in investments and people take that money that know that economic world and they invest that for us because we don't know that world as well as we should know it. The, John is talking about this world's system. And we need to understand that so we can understand what John is talking about. We need to understand his character. We need to understand the dynamics so that we can be aware and so that we are not surprised when the world hates us. What is this world system? Let me give you a few points here. Number one, it is made up of unbelievers. And they are blinded to the light of the gospel, blinded to the light of the, the truth. And corresponding to that, they are, they are uh, corrupted by sin and in disobedience to the Lord. And so it's a, a dark spiritual world. Next, it's led by Satan. Satan is uh, driving the course of this world. He has blinded the minds of the unbeliever by a web of lies. From the beginning, he is a liar. Christ said he, he is just the father of lies. He is just cranking out lies. And, and these have bought into those lies. These unbelievers, all of us, bought into those lies. And that is distorting the truth, twisting the truth, twisting the reality of God, twisting the spiritual reality, God's creation, God's authority, um, and, and ultimately God's Word. And He wants us to have the illusion that we are in control, but the reality is, is He is in control. We are slaves to sin, and therefore He is just moving 
Uh, he is masterfully moving the course of this world. Another characteristic, another element of this world is the characteristics of this world is it's an appeal to the flesh, mostly an, an appeal to and, and tie to the flesh. Paul says the or John says the uh, the uh, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And those things are in opposition in complete opposite of the will of God. And scripture is clear also that this world is passing away. It is temporal. This world system then is in rebellion against God. We're seeking our own independence from God. Rebelling against His rule, His glory. His wrath is on us. We are under, this world system is under God's wrath. So, in some summation, summing up, there's two major parts. Essentially, it's, it's full of lies, twisting and rejection of the truth. And number two, it's just driven by self. Self and pride and self-gratification. But, but the believer has been born out of that. Praise the Lord for that. We have been born out of this world. We have been born from above and we have a new nature. From the very core of our being has been changed because of God's supernatural work in our life. Now we no longer buy into Satan's lies. We see through Satan's lies. We walk in the truth. And then we have a desire not just to please ourselves, not just to uh, be driven by the flesh, but to please God. And that points to, folks, a supernatural work of God. That points to the fact that salvation is a supernatural work that God has to wrought within our own hearts so that He gets the glory. Now, that's the whole point, isn't it? That He gets the glory. And that the Holy Spirit gets the credit for His work in our life. And that it's our faith in Christ that has changed us and becomes evident in our lives and to the world. Now, there's a warning in here with, for us as well. <clears throat> because true Christianity is, is not just good people trying to be better. That's not Christianity. That's a false Christianity. It's not just good people trying to, to be better. We're not just trying to maintain some high standard of living or uh, unrealistic standard through our self-effort. And that's no different than Judaism that, John, that uh, the Apostle Paul was talking about. That's no different than just any other man-made religion that we would see in our world today. We are not just making up this stuff. It's not just producing our, our own standard here, but that's just a facade. That's the Christianity of today. We just set our own standard and then we live by that standard and, and we work hard to, to live by that standard so we can pat ourselves on the back and, and say how righteous we are. That's not Christianity at all. That's not the Christianity that you see here in Scripture. We are changed from the inside out. That's Christianity. We are born again, Christ said. So therefore, it's not our own effort. It's not self-effort. I'm just doing what comes naturally. Our nature has been changed. 
And we are acting now out of our nature. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity of being in Christ. And we seek to please God. That's what we see in Scripture. Now, one other element of the world that we need to understand is that the world then, this world system, and we conclude this, is in opposition to God. In fact, it's in war against God and God's servants. That would be us, believers. They are at war against us. They are fighting us being God's servants. Now, something strange here goes on as well. The world, we're fighting against the world. The world is fighting against us. But there's also an allure to the world. We're, we're, we're kind of drawn into the world. And we know that. We're kind of aware of that. And it's because we used to be a part of that world. And we know that world. We, that used to be our identity. But the Lord worked in our life. And even now though, certain conditions, certain circumstances that we put ourselves in, certain smells, maybe certain sounds, certain settings and situations and certain environments, that pulls us toward the world. And so we need to renew our mind and flesh, or to wash out that old fleshly way of thinking, those old habits. And so that becomes the new pattern for the believer. So number nine then, on the screen you should see, number nine is that we are, uh, we look for a growing rejection of worldliness. That's what a true believer does. He's going to come out of the world. There's going to be a dis- distinction. He's going to, as John says, overcome the world. He doesn't feel comfortable in his own sinfulness anymore. And that renewing the mind rejects worldly philosophies and worldviews. And like Isaiah, the, the prophet said, when he, when God had worked in his heart, he began to see his own sinfulness. And he says, Lord, I'm among an unclean people. He recognized it. He recognized his own sinfulness and the sinfulness around him. He was able to see through Satan's lies and able to come overcome the world. That was the believer. That's what we are to do. And that's a growing thing. There's a, a growing distinction between the world and the believer as he grows in Christ and that identity that he has in Christ. And he feels uncomfortable in the world. So there's a rejection then from the believer Against worldliness. There's a rejection. Number 10, though, follows up on that. And you need to know number 9 before you understand number 10. And here's number 10. Not only does the believer reject the world, but the world rejects the believer. The world rejects the believer. There's a lot of questions that should come to your mind here. And there's a progression that I want you to see. And we want to answer the question, why is that? What's going on there? Uh, there's a there's a progression. The first verse that I want you to look at is First John chapter three and verse one. First John chapter three and verse one. We see all of these things in in First John or the Gospel of John. The, John was very much in tune with these things. First John chapter three says this: See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. The world didn't know us? What does that mean? Surely, 
the world knows us, it identifies us. Now, the word world, uh, the word know here is really, they just can't relate to us. The word world here is gnosko, and it is to, to know by observation, to know by experience. And, and they don't know us because they can't relate to us anymore. We are so distinct or so different, we just cannot relate. Paul says that we're foreigners and we're strangers and aliens in this world. And to the world, we look suspicious. We're, we're different. We have different values, different things that are important to us. Different loves and likes and dislikes. And those things make us distinct from the world and different from the world. It's actually a whole different culture, if you will, that we see in Scripture. And it's because we have a different perspective. And that perspective, folks, makes all of the difference in the world. That perspective. When you take God out of the equation, God's promises, His principles, God's uh, wisdom, His commands, when you take those out of the equation, then everything changes. We may not think so, but it's true. You take two people from looking at the same thing from different perspectives and you're going to, you're likely to get two different conclusions. Two different views. I want you to see this because I, I think this is important for us to understand this distinction that we have from the world. <clears throat> if you want to turn over to, Nevada, uh, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. You'll, you'll recognize the context here. This is where Moses had led the children of Israel out of slavery. They've gone across the Red Sea. They're ready to take the land of Canaan. They're ready to go into the promised land. And God, uh, God says, uh, in verse one in chapter 13, Numbers chapter 13, verse one, you'll see it on the screen here, I think. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan for which which I am going to give the sons of Israel. And you shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, each one a leader among them. So twelve men, leaders from each of the tribe, and they're to go out into Canaan and to spy out that land and come back with a report. And we see that report in verse 25. <clears throat> when they return, verse 25 says, when they return from spying out the land... At the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation. So the whole congregation then is depending upon the word, the, 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 uh, the report from these 12 men, congregation. And it showed fruit from the land. And it was amazing fruit. He said, verse 27, thus they told him, that would be Moses, and said, we went to the land where you sent us, and it certainly is, it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nonetheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, if you trace that back, you could go back to Genesis chapter uh, 6, and those are the Nephilim. If you look down in verse 33, if you're there, there are also, they saw the Nephilim. That was the sons of Enoch. They were part of the Nephilim. Now, those were giants. 
Of course, as soon as the congregation hears giants, what it, they're going to react to that and say, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. Now, look at verse 30, because I want you to see Caleb's perspective. So, now, they're looking at the same thing. you got 12 men looking at the same thing, seeing the, the same land, the, the fruit, the fortification, the cities, the greatness of the people, the plushness of the land, flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. Caleb says this, then Caleb, verse 30, and Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overtake it. (laughs) Wow, where did this guy come from? But, verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are too strong for us. So they gave to the sons of Israel a bad report. A bad report. Was it an accurate report? Maybe specifically uh, accurate, but it was a bad report. What made it a bad report? They excluded God from the report. Completely excluded God. Caleb, in his thinking, he included God and he says, yeah, they're great. It's a great land. They're strong and big. Let's go get them. Completely different. And folks, that's the difference between us and the world. They're excluding God from their equation. The way they live life. And they gave a bad report here. A bad report. Um... And I think that's exactly what scientists are doing today. They'll look objectively at the scientific uh, research that they do, but then somehow their biases get in the way and they give a, a completely different report because they exclude God from the, from the equation. <clears throat> now, let's apply this because the world looks at us and they see these people are strange. These people don't know what they're... Why are, why are they not... More afraid of, of climate change. Why are they not more afraid of the, the latest meteor that's about to hit the earth? Why do they vote the way they do? Why are they so afraid of, of killing babies in the womb? Why do they restrain themselves? Why do they put so many uh, restraints on themselves and their family and their marriages? You have two completely opposite views, two different directions of life, and what you have then is conflict. You have war. You have war. Now, we need to understand that. We need to understand that. The first element is that they don't know us, John says. The second element we find, in, uh, and it makes sense then, if we go back to our passage, 1 John 3.13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. That's the second element. They don't know us. They put in that category. And then they say, then it comes to the conclusion, we we hate them. And they will, folks, the, the world, I'm telling you, is coming to that conclusion now. They hate us. The world will reject us. It's not that we hate the world. No, we love the world. We love the people. Just not the world system that has enslaved the world. That Satan is a part of and has entrapped these people. Now the question should be is, why? Why does the world hate us? Why do they come to that conclusion? 
There's there's war, but but come on, we can get we can come together. We can. You know, why does the world reject us? Why not be surprised when we need to drill down a little bit more to Christ's teaching? And I want you to see this. This is just very rich teaching. So if you would please turn over to John, the book of John, same author. Uh, this is the Gospel of John, John chapter 3 and verse 19. The world rejects our morals. The world rejects our morals. John chapter 3, verse 19. Again, you see a progression here a little bit. They they reject our morals. And this is the teaching of Christ. Verse 19 says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Now that light is is Christ Himself. Christ is, is light because He speaks the truth. That truth is light. And he lives this righteous life. That righteous life is light to the world. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Now that's that's it. That's the core of it right there. The very essence of these people, they love darkness. They love it. Because, why do they love it? Because their deeds are evil. It resonates with them. They love that darkness. They love Satan's lies. That, that darkness has enslaved them and entrapped them. And it, and it resonates with their own flesh. It goes on to say, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear of his deeds will be exposed. Now that's the key, isn't it? The core of their being, their nature, has not been changed. It is still enslaved to sin. So they hang on to this darkness, this world's, Satan's lies, and their own immorality, or their level of, their standard of morality. But, verse 21, he who practices the truth, what do we do? We come toward the light. Come to the light, so that our deeds may be manifested, having been wrought in God. That's what makes us distinct from the world, folks. We run to the light. We hate the, the falsehood. We hate the immorality that we used to live in. And we, we move toward the light. Now, we can understand the world's being offended with us. We've ever been in a dark room and somebody comes on and flips on the, comes in and flips on the light and, and, and you have to, uh, uh, shade your eyes from that light. It's offensive. That's exactly what we're doing to the world. Christ said, you are the light of the world. Christ himself was the light of the world. And the world hated it. They shielded their eyes. They did not want their deeds to be exposed. They wanted to hide in that light. Or hide in that darkness. And they loved that darkness. It's their very nature to do that. The believer, though, comes to the light. They love the truth. They love the righteousness. David himself, I love that. Uh, this uh, David said, examine my heart, Lord, to see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's anything in me. We come to the light. The world rejects that. Rejects our morals. They, they don't want to see that. The world rejects our morals. Number two, the world rejects our message, 
in verse in chapter eight, if you're still in John, John chapter eight, verse passage, part of the passage that was read for us earlier. John chapter eight, verse forty three. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? This is Christ talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. It is because you cannot hear me. You cannot hear. Obviously, they could hear him physically. They hear, but their minds are closed spiritually. They, they refuse to hear him spiritually. They refuse. Why is this? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He is, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he lies. He speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now that's the key, isn't it? They hang on to that that, that Satan's lies because it resonates with their own heart because their nature has not changed. They have the same rebellious nature that Satan had. And they hang on to it. Verse 47, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, he, we, you do not hear me because you are not of God. God makes the difference. God changes us, changes our core to where we're running toward the the righteousness of God. We're running toward the truth of God. We can hear it. We can hear it. We're no longer rejecting that truth, but we can hear that truth and we come toward that truth. That's the message that we have, that we hear from God. These men... Scribes and Pharisees, they've elevated their own thinking. They know what's best for their own life. Again, they've bought into Satan's lies because it resonates with their own nature, their own heart. Their heart hasn't been changed. They need to be changed. They refuse to listen and their heart gets hardened. Much like we were talking about in Sunday school today. It's like a radio frequency. Uh, You could turn... That radio frequency, this is old school, so if you're young, you may not even understand that. But you turn that radio dial. Once upon a time, there was these dials. (laughs) You turn that dial, and all of a sudden, something becomes clear through the speaker. It's amazing. The radio. That's what needs to happen. They could not hear. They were of the uh, different frequency. Different frequency. They needed the supernatural work of God in their life. Elevating their own thinking. John Calvin says this, that is, that is, this is, that is why men rise up against God as they do. It is because they think too highly of themselves and they think that wisdom exists only in their own mind. They bought into Satan's lies so much that they, it just resonates and, and they are the masters of their own fate. So, they reject the morals, they reject our morals, they reject our message, and it's the natural thing then, what? To reject the messenger. And that's exactly what Christ predicted. If you go over to John chapter 15, John chapter 15 and verse 18, says this, if the world hates, hates me, I'm sorry, if the world hates you, you know that it has 
hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. You see the distinction? You see what, you see what's happening here? Because God's supernatural work, choosing us, being, causing us to be born out of this world, born again, then we're distinct from the world. We're distinct from the world. We're not part of the world anymore. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they keep, if they kept my word, they will keep your word also. Think about that one. It's a whole sermon in that. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Now, they will reject us, folks, because they're rejecting the one who sent us. They're rejecting us, but ultimately they're rejecting God. And, of course, Christ... He said a lot, Scripture says a lot about us being persecuted by the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed. We're blessed. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you see the terminology that's used? Desire, that changed nature, desires to godliness. And you're going to be persecuted. First Peter, Peter says the same thing. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised again. We should know this, this distinction from the world. If you are reviled for the, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. That means that there's assurance of salvation there, that God has worked in your life. That's wonderful news. And the world rejects the, the believer the believer's morals, the believer's message, and the believer himself, ultimately, because they don't want the medicine. It's like trying to give children medicine that they don't want to take. You know, have you ever tried to do that? It's, it's, it's hard to do. Or to take out, to put in stitches maybe to a little kid that's been, uh, his skin's been damaged. Or to take out a splinter. And they don't want to. You're, you're having to fight them. But it's for their own good. That's exactly what's happening. They're rejecting the doctor's prescription here. Now, once you reject the Bible, once you reject truth, and once you reject morals, everything, up is, everything else is upside down, folks. It changes everything. changes everything. And the more wicked the world becomes the more they will oppose righteousness. The, the more that the world buys into Satan's lies, the more they will hate the truth. The more amoral the world becomes, the more it will fight biblical morality. It will fight us. The world is rejecting us. 
And you see that pattern. First, we see this here in America, folks. We see it, the, the morals, they rejected that probably back in the 60s, if you want to narrow it down. They're rejecting even now our message, and they're rejecting, they will reject, folks, the messenger. That's the next thing, is the messenger. Now, how do we deal with that? What do we do? I'm going to just apply these and, and uh, we'll be done. Let me apply these things to our life. What do we do then in this world? What do we do? How do we deal with the world? Let me give you some overarching principles here. And it's not Jesus was a friend of sinners. And they stopped there. Now, that's that right there is the overarching uh, uh, principle of today. Of dealing with the world, we just remember, oh, remember, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and, and they stop right there. But the Bible has a whole lot more to say than just that. Jesus didn't hang out in strip clubs. He just didn't. When he was with sinners, Matthew, the tax collector, being a sinner, Matthew's life was changed. Zacchaeus' life was changed. Mary Magdalene, an adulteress, her life was changed. When they hung out with Jesus, Jesus hung out with them, they were, they were changed. So what do we do? Here's some overarching principles. Number one, use wisdom. Use wisdom. Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. We're going, we're being sent out into this world, folks, that hates us, that will devour us. So, he says, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as dove. Just be wise. Be wise. That's biblical wisdom, by the way. Proverbs uh, said uh, in Solomon, he said, uh, Solomon chap, uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. He said, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. There's wisdom there. Wisdom there. He makes his enemies at peace with him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said we are to pray on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may live a tranquil and quiet life with all godliness and dignity. There's wisdom there. We use wisdom literature, folks. We should be driven to the Old Testament, driven to those wisdom passages. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that Christ, when He came, He was full of grace and truth. He had the truth... But he was full of grace. So we use wisdom, number one. Number two, there's a principle here that we need to understand. We need to understand the distinction. And if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. Let me read this to you. Because oil and water don't mix. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, 15, 16. Do not be bound together. That is contractually... Bound together with unbelievers. Don't be bound together. That could be in business, partner, could be marriage, whatever. Don't be yoked together. Two oxen coming together to try to do one purpose. They're, they're yoked together. Don't do that. Don't do that. And here's the reason why. He says, what partnership, see the partnership, has righteousness with lawlessness? None. You can't be partnered together. What fellowship has light and darkness? You can't have the two together. If you have light, the darkness shines, or the darkness hides and goes away. What harmony has Christ with Belial? 
What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? There's nothing at the core of their, their belief system. There's, there's nothing really in common there. What agreement has the temple of God with idolatry? You could go down the street in the church at Corinth to the temple of prostitutes. And he says, what, what, what do they have in common? Nothing, nothing. For we are the temple of the living God. So don't get these two mixed up. Oil and water cannot mix. We need to understand the distinction. Number three, number three, don't compromise. First Corinthians chapter five. First Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with unbe- uh, the immoral person. I wrote to you. Paul had written another letter earlier. I wrote to you not to associate with immoral people. He says, I did not mean the immoral people of the world. Or with the, the covetous, the swindler, the idolater. For then you would have to go out of the world. So, so he's saying, and he says, well, look, you, you have to robe shoulders with the world. You have to be in the world. You have to do that. He said, I didn't write to you to not associate with them. You have to buy groceries at the grocery store with unbelieving people. It, it just happens. For if not, you'd have to go out of this world. That's the way it is. But, he said, verse 11... But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with the so-called brethren. Those who are compromising. Those who are, are claiming to be Christians, but they're not. Don't associate with the so-called brethren if he is an immoral person. Covetous, that's from the heart. He's, he's coveting, idolatrous, revilers, drunkards, swindlers. Not to even eat with such a one. Don't hang out with those people that are compromising. Those who are compromising are trying to hang on to the world on one hand and try to hang on to religion with the other hand. And folks, that is just the majority of the people in the church today. Not Daniel's Bible Church. Thank the Lord for that. Number four. So don't compromise. Number four is that we can't hide either. In John chapter... In John chapter 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer said that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Look at, uh, he says, we, we cannot hide essentially. It says, I have given them out of the, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Even as I am not of this world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. I say, Lord, just take us home. I'd rather be out of this world, but he's got a purpose for us being here. We are to be in the world. We're just not to be of the world. We're not to be of the world. A boat in the water, that's a good thing. Water in the boat, that's a bad thing. The Christian in the world is a good thing. The world in the Christian, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Folks, our righteous life has to be seen. Our message has to be heard. But we can know, we can just rest assured that we're going to be rejected. We're going to be rejected. And the question is, is does the world see our righteousness? Does the world hear our message? That's the question we have to ask. Is there enough evidence in your life that shows that you are a believer? Enough distinction between you and the world for the world to be mad at you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this word. 
Lord, if it wasn't for this word, I would not know these things. But your word shows these things to me. And, and Lord, I'm speaking first and foremost to my own heart. Lord, I know the, the pull that the world has on me. And Lord, we just have to, have to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, help us to see crystal clearly distinction, our distinction from the world. So that, so that you get the glory for our life. So that you get the credit for the Holy Spirit gets the credit for changing our nature from the inside out. Making us distinct from the world. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.